Welcome to Wagon Wheel. I am Jared Kimber, and uh, here again to answer your questions about cricket um, and life, I suppose. Does anyone who ask about life? I'm not sure they do. I'm not sure they should, but in case they do, the, the best way uh, to ask questions, of course, is to get in touch beforehand on Patreon. Uh, if you find Patreon, Jared Kimber, go to Discord channel. In fact, I haven't been there for a couple of days. I wonder what the, wonder what the uh, team is talking about over there. Um, uh, also gets you uh, ad-free versions of the videos. Um, you can get signed into my emailer as well. Oh, there's like lots of things. You can chat to me if you want on on there. Um, a uh, what, uh, what do you call it? Like I do a live call with some people on on some levels of the disc of the Patreon. Anyway, Patreon's there. That's where people ask questions. If you are in the YouTube, and thank you to everyone who is already over here. I see who we got today. DM ninety five, Natesh, Pervesh, Ayush, Arco. Uh, if you want to ask a super chat, I will definitely, um, uh, answer any questions on the super chats. Uh, if you just want to put general questions in, you're more than welcome or comments or anything else or, um, or as Shara just said, yo, yo, Shara, yo. Uh, but let us get to the questions. Let us get to the, uh, Patreon and then anything else that goes up in the YouTube, we'll have a look at later. Uh, Aditya says during the Crick Picks discussion on the ultimate World Cup draft, if you haven't seen that. That was that one went out of control. My favorite bit was when Estelle forgot Viv Richards existed. Um, uh, uh, when you talked about Aravinda's 96 performance being one of the greatest given its impact, do you think it's probably the most underrated World Cup performance and Jay Surya's 96 performance the most overrated? Yeah, I think I do believe that. And, and I don't want to be unfair to Jay Surya because I think he's a fantastic player and was a very important cog in them winning that. He, I think his bowling is almost as important as his batting, if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, I think he was a very, very important cog in, in that winning. But he, as good as his strike rate was, if you compare him to what Aravinda uh, managed to do, I think Aravinda had the better campaign, but part of the reason was the, the way they gave the, the tournament out. I know there was certainly some questions at the time. Oh, I think because his strike rate, uh, and, and I'm going off the top of my head here, but because his strike rate was so magnificent, I do think there was an element of, we've never seen anything like this before, so we have to give it to him, which... I get, and, and I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but I think if you go back and look at it on a game-by-game -game basis, his strike rate maybe is not as impressive um, overall, whereas Aravinda maybe had, you know, one of the best two-game stretches we've ever seen in World Cup cricket and and had a decent tournament before then as well. Uh, and I, I always thought that, that Sanas was uh, Sanas' impact on that World Cup and Kelu, who basically didn't make any runs, was over... Um, stated in that World Cup, but uh, but and Aravinda's was understated. And if you look at what England did when they modeled, it was that sort of Aravinda kind of did that Joe Root slash Owen Owen Morgan role. And you can't really have Sanath if you don't have Aravinda. Whereas you can have Aravinda without Sanath, right? And, and so I, I do think it's a it's a kind of an interesting one. But I mean, both had great World Cups, so I just don't think Sanath probably should have been player of the World Cup. But they did do it in a very weird way. Uh, Aditya says, in a test draft, if you had the option of picking one all-rounder and the choice between Stokes and Dadeja, assuming full fitness for both, who would you pick in the long term, and who among the two would be remember, and who among the two would be remembered as the greater all-rounder? Uh, so let's, if we go back to when they're 23, 24, I suppose that's the best way of looking at it. I think you generally would pick Stokes for the reason that great seam bowling all-rounders usually have more impact. Also, they have more utility. 
the fact that he has extra pace as well. Um, whereas you can manufacture a, a sort of Joe Root like spinning all rounder. Um, Darren Lehman, uh, trying to think of other guys, you know, Verinder Sewag uh, type all rounder that can give you some extra ability with 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 the ball. Like so, a batter who can bowl a little bit of off spin, you know, Carl Hooper type player, Viv Richards, where you can still get some handiness. Whereas you can't really manufacture a medium fast all rounder, let alone a fast medium, let alone someone who can touch fast. So I think. On that level, I think it's more important. I also think that throughout his career, Ben Stokes has been a top six batter all the time. And and it took Jadeja a long time to get to that level. If Jadeja was at his level of play now, all the way through his career, I I would find that a harder argument to make. But, but as an all-rounder, if you can't bat in the top six, you are handy, but you are not nece- necessarily revolutionary. Whereas I think Stokes' ability to bat six, and certainly bat five, means that they have a bowling option in their top six, which gives them flexibility with, you know, a wicket keeper that they want to choose or any, you know, and they go into every game with five bowlers. So I think if you look at a big part of Judeja's career, um, he was probably a number seven, which then relies on your wicket keeper being a great bat, or he was even a number eight, I think, at times, you know, earlier on. Um, so again, I think that having said that, you know, it's possible to suggest that Judeja has had a better peak um, you know, where he's batting, his bowling has overlapped in more, more peak ways. But if you're looking at overall flexibility, um, even at, even if Stokes isn't as good as Jadeja, which I think is made probably fair by looking at their numbers, um, the fact that he can bat top six, he probably still helps your team more than Jadeja, even if Jadeja is the better player. And I, no, and I know that's confusing, but that, that just comes down to that automatic five bowling options and then be, still being able to pick your, you know, a wicket keeper based on some wicket keeping skill and everything else. By having Stokes in that side, you have incredible flexibility. Also, outside of Asia, it's very rare you're ever going to play two spinners. Um, and so if you are in a situation like India is where they have another great spinner that there's kind of an overlap, whereas even in Asia, Stokes can play as your second seamer. Um, so it's not for me, I don't, if you're looking for longevity, um, over that period, and they both give you a lot in the field in different ways, but if you're looking longevity over that, um, situation, and, and it also would be different if Jadeja's bowling was a lot more like, I don't know, someone like Nathan Lyons, he doesn't even have as good an average as Jadeja, but just sort of works everywhere um and and you know looks like a threat in the first innings everywhere i suppose that that would that would swing it more but i think today's just much more of a sort of second innings bowler outside of asia um i don't think there's much in it though it, and really a lot of it just comes down to the top six stuff and the seam bowling stuff i can make a very good argument that today's has had a better career um but probably took a little bit longer for his batting to come along, whereas Stokes probably entered the game a little bit more fully formed in batting and bowling. Uh, Vikas says, as Virat and Rohit are back in the T20 team, India has one spot to grab in the top six. Uh, Rohit, Virat, um, Surya, Pandya, and wicketkeeper batters are selecting themselves. Uh, so which one would you pick, Rinku or Jaiswal? Ooh. Hmm. I mean, I probably wouldn't pick Rohit Virat, so I would probably have Jaiswal there. But um, you've got Syria, you've got Pandey. Pandey's going to go nuts, and you have... It, it, some ways it depends on who the wicketkeeper becomes, because if it's a wicketkeeper with more anchor-like tendencies, 
Um, I probably definitely want Riku in that situation. But if it's Rishabh Pant, and I know we don't know if he's going to play, but, you know, a more explosive type wicket keeper, um, then I could be argued that Jaiswal could do it and then and then you do it that way. But I think I if... I think if you've got Surya and then you've got Rinku, yeah, and then because you've got, yeah, so I think it's Rinku. I think it's Rinku in that just because there's an overlap of uh, uh, top order batters already in the, the kind of the lineup that you've put there. The only other way of doing it, of course, is that you have Rohit, Jaiswal, Virat, then you have Sky, Pandya, and the wicket keeper, but then Pandya has to go back to old Pandya, right? He he can't play any other way. Um, and Sky's going to play like Sky. I think that works. Um, but I think I'd still, I think Rinku is the when I look at that, Rinku is the person I want in that side. Um, but I, maybe it doesn't fit as well as I thought it did. B Bailey says, "Would you prefer a batter that makes exactly fifty every innings, or a batter that makes one hundred and fifty every third innings and ducks otherwise?" So I'll probably eventually have to make a video about this because I think it's a really interesting topic. My memory is, and I might get the numbers slightly wrong, but if you make a 50, you you in, increase your um, team's chances of winning by 5% in a test match. Uh, if you make 100, you increase your chances of winning by 12%. So 150, I'm assuming at 17, 18, 19%, right, at that point. I'm just guessing here. As I said, this I, we did this years ago and we haven't really looked into it all that much ever since. But those are the numbers I remember a, a, a statistician, um, I think it might have been Jonas who might have looked that up for me, uh, back in the day and we sort of came to that number. Uh, and it was his research, not mine. So, A, I might have got the numbers wrong, but I think that was the basic premise. So, on that, you want to play who makes 150 every third game. Uh, you know, giving you because you're it's such a bigger chance that you're actually going to win those games, right? You, you, you're doing it that way. But if you do that, um, it really depends on the kind of side that you have a around that batter. Um, and so I think if you have a good side with a good bowling attack, you actually want a player who will make 50 every innings. If you have an inconsistent team with a poorer bowling attack, and not as good batting, you probably want a player who every three matches gives you a good chance of winning the game on his own. So I think that's how I would come at that question, uh, Bailey. But it's a really good one, and I have been asked it before. Um, it's not a particularly easy one to answer. Usually people go to 100. I love that you went to a big daddy um, uh, change on that one as well. But yeah, um, it's certainly something that... Uh, um, I think it's a really, really interesting question and the way that you look at it. And, you know, there are probably bowling versions of this as well. James says, like most people, I find European Cricket League, uh, Cricket League blooper videos amusing. But are they creating a reputation that will be difficult to shake as standards improve to the point of being worthy of being taken seriously? It's an interesting one with the European Cricket League. I remember, uh, you know, all the, these fake leagues that we've had, like a fake IPL, and I think there was another one in France and one in Sri Lanka as well. Oh, I think actually those ones were both in India, but one was a Sri, you know, a Sri Lankan league on the face of it. Um, I do believe that there is a, the reason that they got away with what they were doing is probably because a vast majority of cricket clips that have been shared online are shared by European cricket and cricket Toby's Cricket District and those sorts of things has kind of made cricket look a little bit more uh, ridiculous because the sort of things you get shown are quite funny. Maybe I'm pushing it too much, but it's certainly on my timeline, I see so many of Cricket District and European Cricket stuff. Um, 
it, it's an interesting one for the financial model of European cricket because it people are watching it and does have a following. Um, but it is obviously known as you know laughably the lowest quality league in the world. Does is there a point at which the cricket gets good enough that the audience naturally stays with them? Is it once it gets good enough, it's no longer entertaining? Um, can it never be taken seriously by sponsors and, and uh, fans because of how all the funny footage we've seen early on? I, I don't know because I don't think I've ever seen kind of a company go through this. I'm trying to think of, is the ABA in basketball something that was a little bit more fun and, and weird? Um, ends up becoming the NBA I'm trying to think if there's anything else. XFL was another one I was thinking of. Um, I just can't really think of any time I've ever seen something like this before. So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I suppose they must be making money off it somehow. So at the moment, it's working. My guess is when they go back to sponsors, they can just show them the sheer number of views um, that these videos are getting and say, look, you know, we this is what we're doing and it's working. Um Whereas I maybe for some of us, we're going, yeah, it's working, but um, everyone's laughing at you, but maybe that doesn't matter. And, and honestly, you know, as someone who's been in this sort of online creative space through my own stuff, but also I do a lot of consultancy with, you know, new companies and, and everyone else coming through. Um, there's certainly, oh, there's the thumb. I could, if I could ever remember to turn that off. Um, you know, if we ever get to a point where, you know, when we get to a point with those sorts of things, you know, branding is very important, but there's a big thing where people just say, we want this many subscribers. We want this many listeners. We want this many views. And at the moment, that's probably what they're getting, right? Uh, let us take a break. Uh, and then we will come back with uh, more questions from the Patreon. I am Jared Kimber. Remember that cricket is a funny game. hundred years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with NordVPN today. All right, Patrick says, if we pretend Bradman doesn't exist, would the test goat have to be a bowler given they have greater impact on winning games? I think if if Bradman doesn't exist, it's Sobers or Callis. Um, just because of the impact they had on both sides of the ball. Like, you know, Imran Khan is probably in that discussion as well. Um, i trying to think if there's anyone else. That's probably the three names. Uh, you know, if you're looking at impact on games, the ability to do that. Sobers is a mess, of course, because doesn't have a particularly great bowling uh, record, but that's partly because he was two bowlers or sometimes three bowlers in one. Um, and was massively over-bowled as well. Uh, I still don't understand why West Indies bowled him as much as they did. But, uh, yeah, so I, I do think there's... It, 
you know, Sober's callous uh, are definitely, you know, arguments to be made and maybe slightly less so in Ron Khan, but although his last decade certainly puts him, probably vaults him back into that conversation. The problem with the bowlers on their own is it is very hard to separate all the great bowlers. I don't think I have an automatic answer for any. If, if someone was to ask me who's the greatest bowler of all time, I would find it very hard to give you a proper answer. I, I've, Joel Garner would be very high on my list, and I don't think he'd be that high on most people's list. But the fact that he has one of the lowest averages of all time um, bowling from first change is phenomenal. Um, Sydney Barnes is great, but when you do split up Sydney Barnes's record versus Australia versus South Africa, you do kind of see that, you know, against the other best team, he wasn't quite the same force, although still an absolutely magnificent bowler. You kind of have to throw out the Lohman um, and the other bowlers in that era um, that have the really low averages. Not that they weren't fantastic, but yeah, I just, I don't, you'd have to look at the match ratio for some of those guys, but I'd be shocked if they were the, the best bowlers of all time. Um, uh, who else have we got then? Um, uh, you've got Malcolm Marshall and Richard Hadley and obviously Warren and Murley and all those guys. I just don't know if, I, I don't think I feel confident to say there is a standout bowler. Um, and it was really interesting that we have had standout batters before and we don't seem to have that with bowling. So um, I don't know what that says about cricket or, or averages or how they work or whatever. Um, but it, it, yeah, I think if, if Bradman didn't exist, the second best player of all time is probably Sobers. And, you know, with Callis very much there and thereabouts also. I think Callis and Sobers both have pretty good claims to be top 10 batters of all time um, and pretty handy bowlers, right? So it's, it's, you know, you take Bradman out and you probably go to one of them. Rudra says, does Dan Lawrence coming back in for Brook benefit England since he's supposed to be a really good player of spin? I know he didn't do great last time, bowled between his legs or something by Ashwin. So I, I looked it up. He averaged 30 in across Sri Lanka in India um, when, when playing spin. Th that's low, but it should be said that no one else in England's team was anywhere near that. So... There is something to be said for the fact that Dan Lawrence, at, at least, is not as net zero. Uh, I think Zach Crawley's average is six in those games. So, yes, it's probably a boost, but we don't know what Brooke would have done, of course. So, they'd still like to have Brooke. I was a bit surprised that Lawrence wasn't there in the first place, but I, they've kind of got themselves in a position where they're giving all the, telling all these guys they're going to play all this cricket and they're going to back them. It's probably hard to then say to your vice captain, Oli Pope. Actually, could you sit this one out? We'd rather have Lawrence here. Um, anyway, uh, I, I still think Lawrence is probably the second best player of spin in Indian spinning, against Indian spinners in India. But that might still be a very low bar. And who knows what what will happen with baseball. We've got a video coming out on the main channel tomorrow and everything about that. But yeah, it could be, a, um, a, it could be an awkward uh, one for India. But, uh, you know, he... I think he feels more comfortable against it than others. Whether that stands up over a long period of time, if he does play, uh, will be interesting. Uh, has Rohit been underrated as a death overs hitter in the past few years? Also, should he have been batting uh, in that uh, second super over? Uh, underrated as a death overs hitter? No. I mean, if you're an opening bat you and you get to the death, chances are you're going to hit pretty good because you've been out there for hours and you've you know, you've really, or an hour and a half, um, you're set, you know all the bowlers, most openers up their rate in the death, and he certainly does that, and he's been fantastic at it before. I mean, some of the players that we consider to be too slow, guys like Draculian, 
Kane Williamson, I've, their numbers in the death are usually spectacular as well. That's a really common thing. Um, uh, should he have been batting in the second over? I haven't looked at the playing conditions. Um, so I don't know. And, and I wasn't following the game 100. Like I was following it, but I wasn't like, I'm going to look up the um, uh, playing conditions on the super over. But I was, I think I've said this before, I was more surprised you couldn't use the same bowler twice. Um, and if you can use the same bowler twice, if you can't use the same bowler twice, then should you be able to use the same batter twice? Um, I don't know. I, I've, I, maybe that will open up the discussion a little bit further. Um, but if you're retired hurt, then surely he could come back. Um, if you're retired out, um, uh, then he shouldn't, right? I, th I think that's, that also makes sense. But as I said, I didn't look up the full conditions on that one. Abinab says, uh, love the Rafi Kohan conversation on sledging. Do authors' researchers usually come to you asking to be on your show or do you go find interesting ones? So, no, Rafi wasn't someone who he came to me uh, to be on the show. He came to me uh, to research his book. Um, I, don't, I don't even know how he got in touch with me or how he got my number or emailed me. I can't even remember now. But um, he was writing a book, someone, I think it might have been my piece on Australian cricket that he'd come via or... Uh, Somehow, maybe someone in America had my number and passed it to him. Um, and then he did the interview. He sent me a copy of the book, which is somewhere around here. Actually, I think my son's reading it. <laughs> my son is the wrong person to learn about sledging or trash talking, by the way. That would be horrendous for everyone in South London. But um, And then he was sending me a copy of the book and thanking me. And I thought, well... You know, I, I, I'd be really interested in how he, you know, now, because I think when I talked to him, it was quite early on in his cricket journey. And then afterwards, obviously, he learned a little bit more about the game. And also, if you look, if you get his book, which is called um, Trash Talk, um, it's really interesting because he is kind of learning about cricket in real time. And, you know, a lot of Americans focus on the tea and cucumber sandwiches and everything, whereas he's focusing on the sledging. So he understands more what cricket is than, than quite a lot of other people will. Um, and I just thought it was an interesting topic. And the fact that I'm a cricket and basketball player and fan, um, uh, for me, I kind of felt like I was, and, and an Australian, I kind of felt like I was in the, the uh, triumvirate of someone who would understand this topic. And, and I read some of Rafi's book and, you know, uh, really liked it as well. Um, if someone comes to me to research something and I think it's interesting, I'll, I'll bring them on. Um, I try and find people doing stuff like this as well. Um, sometimes those you know, finding those sorts of crossover things aren't that good. A lot of Americans, I, I did a show a couple of years ago on Netflix. I think it's called Cricket Explained or Cricket Explainer. Um, and I was the expert explaining cricket and Stephen Fry was Stephen Fry. Um, and I, after that came out, that obviously seems to be the go-to. Um, um, Hassan Minaj, um, uh, you know, Pablo Torre, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of, you know, big American sports media or sports media people have sort of contacted me afterwards, you know, to get me involved with different things, even if it's just to get contacts or to second eye things. It was a big thing that uh, I forget the name of, but a big uh, YouTube channel recently had, had something uh, where they were, um, uh, where they wanted me on as an expert as well. And so I, you know, I've kind of got that. Plus I've got a lot of friends who work in American media, um, you know, some of the baseball and basketball guys as well. So my number probably gets passed around a little bit um at times uh through that sort of stuff but for me it's just about the story and i thought that was it it was funny that it was a story that really hadn't been told brilliantly like most of the books about sledging and cricket are kind of 
great sledges and, and the story behind this sledge and whatever, whereas the psychology of it and uh, why it happens and everything else, we hadn't really done much on in, in cricket. Um, it's probably a book that someone who is a basketball, a boxing or a cricket fan should have written beforehand. Um, and so, a, you know, and, and if I hear a topic like that, I'm going to be interested in it. So you can, you know, if you go through, we've had, um, you know, I've had Wright Thompson talking about his articles. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, I haven't had Pablo Torre on, but I've been in Pablo Torre's show, but I'm trying to think of who else from that kind of American side of things. Um, God, I'm blanking. Uh, ben Lindbergh, I think has been on, hasn't he? Uh, the, the, the guy wrote about the Astros. Um, you know, we, uh, I've got him on as well. So whenever I think there's a crossover or something interesting and not just American stuff as well, you know, I, if, if there was some, uh, uh, interesting football stuff, um, I'd be really interested in, in, in those sorts of things. It's uh, honestly, when I'm, when I'm looking to interview someone or talk to someone, it's like, is this something that I want to talk about? And if they've written something great on it, that helps it. But if they've even written something basic on it, like, you know, you bring them on. So we've got a podcast coming up about, all the T20 leagues being stacked on top of each other in December and January. And if you guys listen to this, you'll know I talk about it a lot, but someone went off and did some research. So great. Let's match what I know with your research. And that's a podcast topic. And um, uh, you, there was an article about the American Premier League recently. That's going to be another red inker. Um, you know, j just whatever kind of interests me, I kind of then get, that's what I want to bring on. And so I don't really seek out these things, but occasionally you do. Um, I think, um, oh my God, I've forgotten his name. Uh, uh, Duncan Stone's book about class in English cricket. He was someone who just sent me the book. And originally I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Um, it's a very academic read as well. And I was like, oh, how do I? And, and then, then I, you know, I thought, well, this is a topic I am really interested in. And it's obviously a very well-written book as well. Um, and so, you know, I, I got him on and then there was, um, David, uh, was it David Woodhouse? Um, who had a, a book about the West Indies in the 1950s and in England or whatever. He sent me a book. Um, people send me chapters all the time. I, I'm actually, oh, actually, that reminds me. I, you know, the, AC, um, the ACS, the cricket statisticians are, uh, and scorers, um, uh, you want to do a partnership where we start to, because they write a lot of really interesting stuff as well. So pe sometimes people send it to me. You know, I've got... Uh, you know, I'm in a few different chats where people are sh sharing stuff as well. Um, there's a really good emailer out at the moment as well. Um, and I'm going to forget the name. Um, sorry for the person who writes emailer, uh, which has lots of really interesting cricket articles that get shared on a daily. Uh, no, I'm going to bring it up because it's unfair to him because it is a really, it's really worth uh, looking into. And I cannot find it. Oh, here we go. It is called the best of cricket Substack. You know, uh, you know, clicking on things like that it used to be most of my stuff used to be via Twitter, but you know, now it's probably less so Twitter. Um, but yeah, if I see something, hear something, um, you know, just try and find things that are interesting. And sometimes you stumble into really interesting things as well. And, you know, following other sports, especially basketball, as, as I do, sometimes these things just kind of pop up in front of you. Uh, oh, Cam says, I've heard podcasters start saying the term center in the last couple of months, and I've never heard anyone else use it before. When I Googled it, it came up with a Bluetooth communications system. So James has told him it's South Africa, England, New Zealand, and Australia. Um, it's a little bit unfair on that one too, because it should be West Indies. It should be Senor, probably, if we're being honest, although West Indies is uh, almost 
uh, a law unto themselves when it comes to pitches. Uh, but yeah, Cam, it, it's actually been around for quite a few years. I think it really started as a cricket Twitter thing, maybe an Indian cricket Twitter thing um, or Pakistani cricket Twitter thing. That's when I sort of first started noticing it. But commentators have mentioned it on air for the last three or four years as well. I think it's just become to a point where it actually had a... <laughs> It got really popular, and then people started complaining about it. And I, I the main complaint was uh, Asian cricket saying, um, "Oh, you know, there isn't the opposite of center." And I was like, "Well, there is. There's Asian wickets. Like, it makes sense." Um, you know, when we're being realistic, there is overlap in these places, but a little bit like Asia, it can be you know, Pakistan and Indian wickets are not particularly similar either, right? So there, you know, sometimes you can go a little bit too far with these things. But as a shorthand of is he good in center? Is he good in Asia? I think that gives you an overall look of, of a, you know, where a player can make their runs and where they can't make runs. And so it's just become a thing that many of us say now, uh, rather than saying, uh, if you look in these pace dominant societies, Cam says a T20 uh, leagues really that much more popular than tests to justify the shrinking of tests and the expansion of leagues. No, they're not more popular. What they are is more sturdy and you can play more of them. So if you have five test matches and, and you, you are looking at $200,000 a day of um, money going into, into those, then obviously you have the problem that you might have short test matches. I'm talking about TV production style here. Um, you know, getting the ground ready is probably an extra few hundred thousand dollars more. Uh, you could have... Uh, you then have to have another team that, the, that your local fans want to see. Um, it's obviously the vast majority of that cricket is not going to be in prime time. Uh, and you can't play it for six weeks straight. There are days off. There might be a week off between the matches. T20 leagues, you can play one or even two games a day, back to back. You can have every game in prime time. Uh, but, you know, the, um, the, it works much better from a TV and streaming perspective works much better from an advertising perspective um it's the lag right if it's that ability to throw all your money into one month rather than five weeks which actually you don't have that much cricket um being played and then you might not even have the full amount of days cricket and then you don't have as much of it in prime time you also don't need to worry about the other team coming you're going to make roughly the same amount of money every year no matter what whereas that is not the case case with test cricket that's not the case with international cricket so it's really more to do with the structure that is why league sports make more money than international sports the world cup is still probably you know more highly viewed in in the important games than any football league in the world right um and and makes an absolute fortune but when you actually start to split it uh break it down you realize why people are going to go and watch their local team every weekend if you can come up with a league situation um, you have more fans watching more often, um, and in cricket's case, in prime time, there just isn't a place in the world. There isn't a sport in the world that, once a league system comes in, can compete with it with international sport. The, your international players need to rest; they cannot play every day, right? So you think about how much more. Let's say it. it, it let's say you got a five test series, and let's be honest, most nations wouldn't make money if they had a five test series. But let's say you had a five test series, you are talking about. Um, probably seven weeks, and you were talking about 25 days of cricket in uh, 50 days compared to 50 days of cricket in 50 days. 
it's a big difference, a very big difference. Um, and then, as I said, you might be in a situation where you don't get all of those days because it is test cricket. A lot of that won't be in prime time. Uh, the audience isn't engaged in the same way. There isn't an end, right? There isn't always a close game that gives you something in test cricket. Test cricket has other strengths, um, but it's a much, T20 is a much steadier income. I don't think it's given anyone the high ends that they all thought outside of the IPL. Everyone else is struggling with that, but everyone else was losing money on test cricket already. Now, you could organize test cricket a lot better and make money from it. That's a whole different conversation, but um, I've spoken about that so many times I've lost my breath. But as it currently stands, T20 is a much more sustainable model. Uh, let's have another quick break. And then after that, we'll be back with more Wagon Wheel. Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Uh, Memento's changed name and I forgot the name, but we will change all their ads. But thank you for all their support so far. Uh, where are we? Dre says, had a chat about this one with a mate on our Discord server. Do you think an Australian A side could win the T20 World Cup? Berendorf, Johnson, Agar, uh, and do you think they could at least make a semi final? No, Dre. I don't think they could. Um, it, no. I mean, m maybe like if everything fell right, but I just think the other teams are a little bit stronger. Um, it's an A. I'm partly basing this on watching the Big Bash. I just think you need slightly more experience. I mean, there's some good players in this team. I'm not sure that Johnson is a um, uh, A team player anymore, by the way. Uh, maybe by the next World Cup. But I just don't think overall it's probably quite strong enough to do that. But maybe it's a sixth or seventh best side. And and if you're sixth best side and you get on a run, perhaps you could do stuff, but not not overall. Uh, Vivek says, in case the Indian pitchers turn out to take turn on days four and five, do you think the England bowlers can take twenty Indian wickets? I think the Indian wickets are going to need to pit, spin on days one, two, and three for England to take twenty wickets. I think that's the truth. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about uh, baseball and how successful it might be in, in Indian conditions that that's obviously been going around. The, even if the batting works, getting the 20 wickets is going to be hard. Now, if they absolutely work the batting and they end up with huge amounts of uh, runs, then obviously you can use that pressure. And we, we know that big scores quite often can affect the other team and tie them out and all, all the sorts of things that seem to happen about us. Um, but yeah, the Paul is going to, I would say for England to win, the, the, the more likely, um, uh, sorry, I would say for England to take 20 wickets regularly, the ball, the ball is going to have to be massively um, spinning around or, or swinging or, you know, whatever it does, keeping low and hitting cracks and all sorts of things, just because I just don't see how they take 20 wickets with their attack regularly. If the, if it's like an old, like an old fashioned Indian wicket where you get one, two, three days of batting and then four and five days when, when it becomes uh, uh, more friendly for spin, I think it would have to be a wicket which ha favors the bowling a little bit. 
Ali says, do you see things changing and boards now realizing how broken the international calendar is? I'm seeing more players and boards speaking publicly advocating for change. Okay. Um, I mean, <laughs> this always comes back to the, the, the same basic thing of, so you see more players speaking publicly. Have a look in 2004 to 2007. You couldn't move for an international player saying the calendar was silly. They were playing too much cricket. 2008, they stopped talking about that. And I'm not sure what... Oh, it was the IPL. <laughs> right. Now, so we're in another period where we're seeing this again. Um, we just had a new FTP come out, right? So that's going to last a little while. Um, if the boards really believe this, they would schedule less international cricket. Right? They don't have to play as much international cricket. They're deciding to play international cricket. The boards run the game. It isn't, the ICC is a shell company for the boards. So if this was really true, Ellie, they would get together and they would do it. They have the power to do it. They would have to give up some money, though. So they're not going to do it. This last FCP was that they should have all just sat down and have a really good conversation about where the game was, how they could safeguard international cricket for the next five to ten years while still growing T20 leagues and, and ensuring that, you know, uh, the game was in a really safe, clever, progressive way moving forward. And they didn't. They just put a bunch of more international games into a schedule that already doesn't make any sense. Why does the schedule not make any sense? Because no one is in charge of cricket. There's not a single organization whose job it is to run bilateral cricket. It's bilateral cricket that is the issue. Just, if you're bored and do you think there should be less cricket? Play less cricket. Feels simple. James says, is there a potential for the IPL? Oh, sorry. Is there a potential for an IPL team to get a strategic advantage by picking Pakistani players? Yes. Um, uh, appreciate would be a political firestorm. Uh, well, I mean, that we have had Pakistan players in the IPL before. Uh, would it be a firestorm? Yes, but it has existed before. Um, uh I would float it with any owner. Um, whether how far I would get in that float, James, I don't know. But yes, um, we, we've seen little things like this. It's not just Pakistani players. There was that period when the Sri Lankan players weren't playing a lot of T20 cricket and actually had some good T20 players, and no one kind of noticed because they didn't have a leak. Um, so there's usually a market out there that is uh, uh, underrepresented or underpaid or not as much in drafts or auctions as they should be. But Pakistan in the IPL cricket, yeah, of course. Uh, there used to be a thing, do you remember? I think it was Lalit Modi used to say, oh, there's no Pakistanis good enough. <laughs> it's, like, well, it's obviously not true. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, especially when Shaheen was absolutely tearing up uh, the world. Um, but yeah, the, if you could do that, you would do that. I don't see it happening, if I'm being honest. I, I should say now, I kind of think one day things will go back to you know, a, a different way, but the sort of alt-right movement um, in so many countries around the world at the moment, they just make common sense things impossible with their absolute bullshit culture wars. Um, and this would become an absolute bullshit culture war. Bugger a bloody says, why the MCC never joined the county championship? Does it not embarrass them then that county which represents Lords is not the best team in London? Uh, you would think the MCC members would be in the correct demographic to value county cricket and thus want to help Middlesex. 
Uh, yeah, it's a weird one. I, I don't know the full story. That might be one for Abhishek Mukherjee. I don't know how it, it never happened. Because obviously, Marleybone Cricket Club is a cricket club, right? And yet Middlesex is the team. And it must just be because it's not, Marleybone is not a county. But why would they not have just sort of subsumed? Is that the right word? Uh, Middlesex? Um, I've never understood it really why it has, ha- has happened. There's also briefly, of course, the London County Cricket Club, which W.G. Grace was involved uh, with towards the end of his life. Um, if that existed, I kind of feel like there would have been a way, but maybe it's just the county thing doesn't uh, work. But I, I, I don't think I knew until I moved to the UK that this was even a thing, bloody. So I don't know how many people know, but I don't know that much about the history, that side of the history of the MCC, but I would assume it's probably something as simple as that Marleybone is not a county, uh, would be my guess anyway. But weird that when England toured, they toured as the MCC, and then um, they, the MCC didn't actually play at home, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Does that mean the MCC thought they were above county cricket? I mean, I wouldn't have thought so. It's a fan- fantastic question. I don't know if I can answer it. Bobby O, Joe Root, over and under, five wickets across the series. Oh, I get more than five wickets, Bobby O. I think he'll probably have one spell where he does something and everyone will tell me he's a frontline bowler again. And then by the end of the series, he'll probably, you know, have quite a high average uh, on low usage. Uh, actually, no, it might be a high average on medium usage. Um, should get between eight and 12 wickets, I would have thought, in a five-test series, considering the workload he's going to have to bowl. Two young kids, one of which may not get in the country. Another leg spinner, I suppose, so three young kids. Um, I would have thought that Joe Root's going to have to bowl quite a bit. There are some issues. And if, if the pitches are ragging, he should get certainly more than five wickets. Um, I don't have any doubts there. William says, what stats and attributes do selectors look for when picking women's test matches due to the lack of domestic first-class records? There is lack of domestic first-class records. There isn't always lack of red ball cricket. There are some stats and, you know, obviously it is played in some countries, not probably enough. So there is that. I think they lean very heavily though on perception and ODI stats and, and you know, other other kinds of um, uh, non-white ball stats in general. I've never talked to a selector about it directly. Um, I've talked to some coaches, um, but they they sort of said that they didn't pick the team. So um, that didn't really help me all that much. But there are some stats. I'm, I don't know if Hypercost is out there today, but someone like Hypercost, I'm sure, could find some stuff. But it's it's not always first class. Uh, it's not given first class status, which doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, but it's, and they also don't play enough of it. So there is a lot of guessing and looking at someone and go, oh, I think that will be a that kind of a player. Will says, which English county do you think Rusty would end up playing for as a tune-up before the Ashes? <laughs> this is such a stupid but good question. Um, so Rusty is the dog who plays cricket uh, for Australia in the children's TV show Blue. There's some people here who haven't been following my work of the last couple of days. So they'll be like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? Um, but Bluey is a famous Australian kids TV show. And in it, one of the kids goes on to play for Australia uh, called Rusty, one of the dogs. Um, uh I, okay, I'm going to go with less, no. So Rusty Lehman, Yorkshire, all right? Lehman is involved tangentially with Queensland cricket. We know Rusty um, is a Queensland dog. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Uh, 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 Lehman sees him in the nets and gives, uh, when he's early on, and gives Goffey a call and says, um, 
you should get this guy over here uh, before he breaks out. <laughs> no, I've got Goffy and Darren Lehman involved in this story about a cartoon dog. Although it would be fun if people started contacting Goffy on social media and saying, um, are you going to sign Rusty? <laughs> I don't even know what Rusty's last name is. GD19 says, who's the best keeping option in the India squad for the England test overall, as well as for team balance? It's a, it's such an interesting conversation, this, because they might need the extra runs, especially if they can't take a lot of wickets. But if you've got young bowlers, I just don't think you can have a wicket keeper you don't think is going to take the majority of their chances. And so if, if that's the case, it probably has to be folks. I just don't know if it matters as much as we might think it will, because the the runs and the ability that Bearstow can bring also um, is quite interesting. But I think I would go with folks just because I, just, I don't know how many chances England are going to create. So they probably need the better keeper there to make sure that the majority of them are taken. James says, is there a potential tipping point with helmets where batters no longer having the same perceived need to avoid bounces are rocking onto the front foot and getting hit pulling or caught out of position, um, leading to accumulating more blows to the heads. American football and various combat sports where headgear is used, the amateur level are still having major issues with concussions. As I prepared uh, for this, Will Pekoski got hit in the head again. Um, I think there are more bounces before than ever before, James. So people are going to get hit in the head more now. There's more bounces and they're faster than ever before. So I think that is probably a bigger impact than people rocking onto the front foot and getting hit in the head, if we're being honest. I think when I saw Pekoski, I don't think he did. I just think, I, I think if you, all those players who were really good at evading bounces in the 60s and 70s would have the same problems now as the modern players do. It is very hard to get out of the way. The bowls have just got quicker and they bowl more of them. I don't think it's just that players play bounces worse. Having said that, I think as someone who doesn't wear a helmet or didn't wear a helmet for most of my life, um, yeah, I don't think it makes me better at ducking or evading. I still pull and hook <laughs> um, and, and take on the dangerous shots. So I, I, I see where you're going. And there, there is an issue, but I think the issue is with the amount of bounces that are now bowled or the amount of short balls that are now bowled. Because it's not just bounces. If you bowl that sort of nipple height, you know, people will sometimes duck that and those can be dangerous as well. Um, so I, I do think it's, you know, a combination. Christopher says, if Indians were allowed into under-franchise leagues, how much of the player pool do you think they dominate? Well, as as someone who's worked with franchises, when it, even... The, Terrible Indian players are available. Quite often, owners will try and get them involved just because they think that will help them with sponsorship and eyeballs. It doesn't, but you can see why they think that. Um, so, yeah, I do think it would be... Um, it, it, that. So that would certainly have an impact. But also, India just has such a great player pool. Um, I don't know what percentage, because we haven't seen the Indian players out and about. But, you know, you look at some of the, um, you know... Um, is it Umak Chand in Major League Cricket? Um, the kid playing for Hobart from Queensland at the moment. You know, there's certainly really talented Indian cricketers who are nowhere near, uh, you know, the international level. Um, so when you start to look at those second and third tier players who do play in the IPL, they're probably going to be major draw cards in, in leagues around the world, I would think. That, I mean, that just makes sense to me. So, what percentage, I don't know, but there'd be a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot of Indians, so it's always going to be a high number. Bloody says, there's a dude on YouTube called Jay Galagali, Galagali? Uh, who has some vintage Indian cricket clips. Check his vin video 
uh, on the Ranji uh, final in 1967, it has a big crowd. Uh, in the times before mass tele- television, domestic cricket had its appeal. Yeah. So I think this is actually, I think this is it. Uh, yeah, this is in response to William's question, which is why is non-franchise domestic cricket not very popular? Uh, so it was. If you go back, the old Sheffield Shield crowds were massive. Um, you know, Sri Lankan uh, first-class cricket, or, you know, early cricket was really, really big. Obviously, county crowds, you still get people, uh, but you certainly got a lot more. Red Stripe games, you know, Curry Cup games, all these things. It had the same problem that international cricket had, where, you, you know, it, it didn't, you know, it was played during the day and, I went for a long time and, you know, all those sorts of things. Uh, but when it was the major form of cricket, it, it was really good. After World War II, what happens is test cricket becomes the major form of cricket. Then ODI cricket comes along and we just, you know, it it, it hasn't maintained that sort of tribal atmosphere that it did have. Um, but yes, certainly there were some great crowds for first-class cricket for a long time. There really, if you want to split cricket into pre-World War II, is very domestic-focused cricket. And after World War II, it becomes an international game. And so the crowds kind of tend to go towards that a little bit more. Why it's dropped off so much into various places, I do find interesting. I think that has to be the cricket boards. I don't think we can just blame international cricket's popularity for that. Um, I don't think cricket boards around the world thought they could make enough money off it so they didn't push it. But there's no real reason why it couldn't be still a thing. Um, certainly more of a thing than it is, is maybe the best way of putting that. Uh, thank you to everyone on Patreon. I'll take a quick break here and then I'll come back uh, with anything that is in the chat. Uh, but this is the wagon wheel and I am Jared Kimber. Am I Jared Kimber? I believe I'm Jared Kimber. All right, we've got a couple of super chats. Uh, so we'll get to those first. VK says, oh, wait. Helps if I put it on the screen. I remember reading Hotspot Tech is expensive. Why is it used at all, given it rarely improves decisions over Ultra Edge? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with who's paying for it and why they want it and how it looks on TV and everything else. I mean, Ultra Edge is also... um, uh, doesn't always improve decisions. Um, So I think both of them have their flaws. There are different places that like different um systems and everything else um i think really if you're being honest a combination of both is probably ideal but i wrote about the hotspot like over a decade ago on crick info saying it seems like it's not the best um system but yeah there are still some people who like it in cricket but uh, ultra edge has many issues like a, a back creaking handle can still give you out on ultra edge um and other I, other noises i think as well so n- there is no perfect system i think is the best way of putting it and some who did or he likes to do his uh, he likes to make me work for his super chats um michelle's total football is more important to philosophy of football than jose trophy okay <laughs> You've lost me on football to begin with. Viv Sanath ABD shots versus pace, aerial shots. Okay, 360. More important to the art of batting than Sachin Panta Coley. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, so yeah, so you're saying the people who perfect the model are not as important as the people who improvise and everything else. It's interesting that you say that because AB would kind of be in that second one if that is the case. Um, I think it's one reason why uh, Victor Trumper is still talked about so much because of his impact. Um, and you can throw 
W.G. Grace and Ranji and, and those sorts of people in. Um, the Muhammad Brothers should probably be talked about more as well with the reverse sweep and, and everything uh, from that perspective. The, the best way to... It's weird when you say more important because the pioneers need to do the thing, but also, like... It, and when it comes down to it, that's so interesting. Is it more important to the art of batting? No, because I think Sachin, Punter, and Coley, the three that you mentioned there, are also important to um, batting, but probably not in ways that is as obvious. Um, like, for instance, I think Ponting was very important in the way that we played fast bowling. Um, I think Coley was probably very important in having a cover drive um, that can disrupt uh, you know, can kind of cover drive kind of any ball um, in in that kind of way. Uh, Sachin showing anchor players that they can score quicker. Like, do you know what I mean? All these things are there as well. I do think that Viv has a very special place um, in the art of batting. And I think Sanath is a really, really interesting one that you've mentioned here as well. Um but I think AB almost for me fits a little bit more in. Yes, he he had more range than the other than the three guys below him, but he was still perfecting shots that already existed or methods that already existed. Whereas I think Viv kind of takes something that exists and took it to a different level. And Sanath obviously did the same thing. Um, uh, but but I do get your overall point. Oh, no, wrong one. I'll do this one. DM95 says, is Susie Bates the best player never to play test cricket? It's so hard because she hasn't played test cricket. Um, and I suppose there have been great players from non-test playing nations all the way through. There have been, you know, lots of early Sri Lankans and um, possibly, uh, you know, what, Afghanistanis and I Irish players. There's some really good Irish players when you go through the history of Irish cricket, Scottish players, etc. cetera. Um, uh, Barton King. Is, you know, would be right up on that list from America as well. And, you know, lots of great players, um, uh, the Fijian player, the Mexican player. Like, we know there have been greats in... I did a podcast series about, you know, great players from, from these other countries. So I think there's a lots of uh, a lots of situations where that sort of stuff has happened um, before as well. Uh, so, yeah, I do think um, it, it it's not quite as straightforward uh, when you look at it that way, but you know, she's top five or top ten, I would have thought. Um, ridiculous that she hasn't. Natasha says, now that TNT has secured the UK broadcast rights for India series and not talk sport, I'm assuming you won't be traveling to India. Uh, TNT is a um, TV channel, uh, Natesh. Uh, talk sport is a radio channel. So I'm still working for talk sport. They're still doing it. I was supposed to be going, but due to visa issues, um, I am spending, uh, I'll be in England for the whole five tests, but I'll be on talk sport. Um, all the way through. So if you want to come listen to TalkSport, um, I'm not sure if we're doing a YouTube um, live stream as well. I don't know what the full situation is, but certainly it will be. You can find TalkSport via their app or however you find radio stations these days. Um, Keshav says, would an England win surprise you on this tour? Um, no. I think baseball is brings such randomness that, that it can do it. And also... If it's a low-scoring tour and you've got one side absolutely trying to whack everything out, like someone bats for an hour and a half, they might change a test match. Um, so, no. But I kind of feel like England has a higher ceiling than Australia did when they went and a lower floor. 
So I think they could win two tests. I don't think they can win the series, but I think they could win two tests if it gets random enough and, and they're low-scoring test matches. But they could also lose 5-0. Um, they're variable. The, the way they play brings in a lot of variables. Uh, sure enough, says, who's the best new ball bowler of all time? I'll probably have Hadley Marshall holding and staying in the elite list. I'll probably have Hadley Marshall holding McGrath Philander. Um, I think, um, I don't, uh, it's interesting you got staying there. I'm not sure I would have staying there. Um, I think he was more fantastic throughout the whole innings. Um, but yeah, uh, McGrath would definitely be on that list. And I suppose Pat Cummins is probably be on that list as well. Uh, Rabada probably is better throughout the whole innings. Um, trying to think of any other, maybe some of the old England seamers as well, but, but I don't know if they'd crack it any, oh, Anderson, I suppose is another one. Um, yeah, it, that's a really interesting question. I don't know if we'll ever be able to answer it because I don't know if we'll ever have records of bowlers in the first 20 overs of test matches. But your list is pretty... I, I would probably just bring McGrath in um, uh, for Stain on that list. Um, I see Stain is more of an all-innings bowler. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I'm missing. We've got Hadley. Oh, Lily, I suppose, would, would be right up there as well, right? Um I would have thought, although maybe... No, no, I think Lily would be more of a uh, new ball bowler. Um, and is Sean Pollock? I'd probably have Pollock ahead of Stain and, and Donald, I would have thought. Felt like more of a new ball, real new ball bowler to me. Anyway, that's it for Wagon Wheel. Some great questions all the way through. Again, and thank you to everyone who always gives great questions and is always here supporting. I know there's heaps of you who asked questions that I didn't get to in the chat and... Who have we got there? All Things Cinema. Neil is in there. Udit. Um, uh, uh, Mahip. And Relate, Chill, and Enjoy. All those people that put those in. Uh, I'll be back very, very soon for more podcasts. And I will talk to you again uh, when that is the case. Uh, and uh, in the next couple of days, I'll be commentating from a bunker in TalkSport about India versus England. So if you need me, uh, that's where I'll be. Uh, Jared Kimber, Wagon Wheel, signing off. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baron Kazi and Estelle Vassadavan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku, as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. Social media nightmares keeping you up after you turn out 25 minutes of gold on your podcast? It's time to wake up to Memento FM. They find the best designs for your posts, transforming your videos and podcasts into great social media posts. Join Memento FM today.